You're listening to The Elephant Test. We're dedicated to the B2B marketing community and here to explore the practices, thoughts, and ideas of effective B2B marketing executives. Jeremy is joining us today from New York to talk about customer feedback. Jeremy is the co-founder and CEO of Pulse Insights and has demonstrated excellence in leading teams and products to success. Thanks for joining us, Jeremy. Thank you. So, Jeremy, to start off here, can you uh, give us a little uh, little information on your background, kind of where you came from and how you got into this business? Yeah, sure. Um, so after business school, I went to American Express and it was supposed to be a two-year stint. Uh, the two years turned into a six-year stint. Um, and the reason why it turned into six years is because it was an amazing uh, part of my career. I learned a ton and I met a ton of amazing people. Um, to teach me the ropes about how large enterprises work. Um, and when I left, I actually left to go to a, um, to run sales and marketing for a startup. Uh, and I knew, I thought I was only going to be at Annex for two years. And so I was four years late and just had to, uh, get out. Otherwise I would have continued to be a company man at Annex, which is not really what I wanted to do. And, um, and that set me on the path towards entrepreneurship. So at, at running sales and marketing, it turns out the company didn't work, but it did provide me the uh, platform to create my own product. And that was called Uber Tags. And it nice. also created, um, or at least helped me label the thing that gets me out of bed in the morning. So I love building things. Uh, that is the thing that gets me out of bed in the morning. And that's always been the case, but when building Uber Tags, the product, it really... Um, solidified and sort of put words to um, put words to it. Uh, so what was the year uh, Ubertex? What was the year for that? What, when, yeah. when did that start out? That was in 2010. 2010? Okay. Because uh, if you were earlier, if you were in the late 90s, Uber and Text, I mean, that would have been huge. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> have that's, both of those. <laughs> that's funny. Um, yeah, so that was t- 2010 and I ran that. Uh, it was uh, started off as a side project. It was all only meant to be a side project. But as more and more clients came on, I realized that it had more legs than my day job. And so I wound up leaving uh, doing Uber tags full time. Um, and eventually um, other players started to come. We were one of the early players in the space, but eventually other major players like Adobe and Google created their own competing products. And um Around the same time, another company, um, X Plus One, called and was interested in the space and wanted wound up buying UberTags. And that was also an amazing experience because I got to learn a different industry, which was ad tech and martech, um, and uh, led a product team there while also creating Pulse Insights. I've been creating, I've been working on uh, Pulse Insights since 2013, uh, have two co-founders, um, and... Uh, we've been doing that, uh, yeah, since then. Nice. I wanted to uh, clarify something. I got a note from my producer that it's text, not uh, or tags, not text. I was saying Uber <laughs> text, and they said no, no, no it's yeah. Uber tags. Yeah, Uber tags. Uh, just really quickly, just because I'm curious, what is? I know that's not really pertinent to our discussion, but what is Uber tags? I'm really curious. All right, so this goes back to Amex and how awesome it's been for my career. So it was a huge uh, tag is a code snippet that you place on a website. And it was one of my big pain points when I was at Amex. Um, uh, a couple examples, we had put a marketing tag, like a double-click flood-like tag on our site, and it wound up having a page speed impact. And yeah. our technology team would just rip it off because they would get reports saying that our site was slow. 
and then we would lose tracking. And then, right. <laughs> and then, and so, and there was just, it, it was constantly a pain point. And, um, it was one of these things where, uh, we just said there has to be a better way. And it was, right. um, so effectively we created a system that made it very easy to know what tag was where, very easy to deploy new tags without having to wait for a code release. Um, and it also helped the tags load faster. So I, I don't want to, I want to get kind of two pulse insights as soon as we can here, but, uh, interested in this still, um, was that something, was that an idea you had from Amex or was that a, a startup that you joined that was just related to issues you'd had at Amex? It was a, a, a idea I had from pain points at Amex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you didn't it's, join a startup. You kind of created a startup. Created with- And it started as a project. It was just sort of something that I thought needed to happen. I didn't know if there was a business there. So many uh, businesses seem to be created that way. People are working for a big company. They have an issue and they say, now I'm going to go start a business that kind right. of fixes this problem. Well, and that's still a very legitimate problem. I think we still have that problem. So, you know, that shows that seven years later, it's still a valuable it's, product. It's so. still, yeah. And there's still, uh, of course, I don't own it anymore. X plus one bought it and then Rocket Fuel bought X plus one and now Seismic bought Rocket Fuel. Uh, but the product <laughs> is still in use at many large companies and so you uh, so said that it was a, a company that didn't work out. It sounds like it worked out pretty great. Uh, no, I went to do a run sales and marketing for another startup that, uh, and I did build oh, this as, okay. a, okay. as a side project. Got it. I a company as a side project. It's fine. So the side project worked out and the company that, uh, yeah. that you were running sales and marketing at didn't. Correct. Right? <laughs> Figures, right? So then we got on to, from there to Pulse Insights. What was the jump from uber tags what led you to, to pulse insight to a company doing customer feedback they, they don't seem to be uh, related was it a totally separate ideas or some connection there well the connection like many things is to, to my amex experience so uh, also at amex i wanted a craved uh easier way to get large volumes of customer feedback and the mm-hmm. tools that i had at my disposal just weren't they weren't terrible but they weren't that good Right. And so I wanted, I had a particular vision for the way customer feedback should work. And none of the market did that. And what's interesting is um, it's, a, it's a very mature space, but the industry also has grown complacent. So a lot of the companies that were very early in the space had sold, the founders are gone. Some bigger company owns them and they're not doing that much. Like the products have not progressed at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're still doing the same things they were, you know, like basically in the late nineties or maybe early two thousands. It it's very much the same thing. And it's, it's, again, it's not bad, but it's just not exactly what you can't really use it to make decisions. And you certainly can't make the, as the world moved to be more agile in their development process and their decision-making, the products that supported decision-making were like stuck in the waterfall era of the you know, early 2000s. That makes sense. I feel like that's true with so many different things. Well, so I, I love that you see these needs from your own personal perspective and then move into how to fix them. And then you actually make them into a profitable business. That's just, I mean, inspiring in and of itself. Yeah, Jeremy, it's it's amazing how many people, I've spent some time in startup communities and how many people have ideas for startups. And one of the first things I remember looking kind of analyzing other people's startups when you go to pitch events, stuff like that, and saying, oh, that could work. That's not going to work. And one of the biggest things wasn't, is it a good idea? But the person who's who's pushing this, do they have any connection to, to the problem, to the idea? Mm-hmm. So many people seem to have ideas that are out of their area of work. 
Um, yeah, that's that true. Just, you know, they were watching a commercial and they got an idea or something like that, but they work in the telecom business and this, this is an idea for, you know, bridge construction and you're just like, they don't have anything to do right. with each other. You're not, you need right. to work on stuff that's, that's in and around the area that you're currently working. So it seems like the things that you've been doing are all kind of, uh, they're offshoots from your personal experience. Yeah, very closely um, related. And it, it doesn't mean that's not possible to have a, a company outside your area of expertise, um, be successful, but I, I, I do think the probability gets lower the further you get from your expertise. Yeah, that's the thing. It's the probability. You could still pull it off, but the odds that the idea is even something that somebody else hasn't already fixed and you just don't know it are, are so much smaller. Right. Well, so it sounds like in these cases, you were your own customer feedback and you took that customer feedback to the, you know, to, to go do something with it. So, oh, yeah, you had the perfect customer feedback leading <laughs> into the uh, problem. Yeah. 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 You, you could trust it. Yeah. You know, it, it, we actually, in both cases, we did talk to customers. Uh, our product didn't exist yet, so we couldn't use our product to co- talk to customers. But um, we did do a lot of research. And, you know, really, it's, it's, um, the conversations went, well, you know, we see the world like this, but, we don't know if how repeatable this problem is. Is this problem mm. unique to us or do you have it too? And um, we tried to word things in such a way that it, we're just looking for affirmation, but rather looking to see whether people would open their wallets um, if this problem could be solved. All right. So not only do you have this problem, but what's it worth to you kind of? Willing to pay for it. Yeah, yeah. That sounds like such an interesting topic of uh, the product development research there. But today, uh, maybe another time, but today I want to talk to you about customer feedback specifically. Sure. So I think it's pretty standard that marketers understand that we need customer feedback. And yet I feel like it happens so little of the time and that even when you get customer feedback, it's undervalued and less helpful than it should be. So why, how, how does customer feedback, um, help marketing and how should it be helping marketing? You know, like if, if we're doing it right, what should we be getting from it? Yeah, sure. So I guess, uh, I guess the way I look at it is that, um, you really have to look at different size and types of companies differently. So if you have, um, a store, um, and you know, everybody that comes in, you can very easily ask them, how things, you know, you could basically say, you know, what are we doing right? What more do you need? Um, right. And it's it's a lot it's a lot easier to be close to the customer and customer centric when you have a smaller business, and that extends even for a medium business. Mm. So uh, when X plus one bought UberTags, that the company was um, that bought, you know, the whole company is about 150 people or so. And even then, you know, the amount of number of clients, the important, the the bigger, most important strategic clients, you know what they need. You don't really right. need a tool. Maybe it's nice for quantification or you know things like that. But in terms of actually being able to make decisions based on what your customers need, the tool is uh, um, useful but not critical. Mm. But as you get to be a large business, which is the kind of businesses that we primarily work with, um, it gets really tough to understand what customers need because you're so large and you and you get further and further away from the customer. You know, right. and then like the luxury is if you spend a day with customers when you're in certain roles of a large company. Yeah. Um, and so then you really need, you're, you're at the, uh, you, you need some type of tool to help quantify and uncover things that your customers think, because it's just not feasible to do it any other way. Um, so would you and- say, even if you're a really large company, if you only have a handful of clients, I mean, if you, you're, you're large, maybe you have a lot of employees, you have a large revenues, uh, but that didn't sound very good. But anyway, <laughs> um, 
you make a lot of money and you have a lot of employees, but you only have a couple dozen clients or a hundred clients, something like that. Then you, you kind of know your clients. You're a lot more intimate with your clients probably and, and know them a lot better. But if you have a large volume of clients, so software as a service company or those, especially probably that, cause they're kind of disconnected from their clients naturally. Yep. Um, then it becomes a lot more important to have some sort of system in place. It sounds like for, for customer feedback. Yeah, totally agree. Absolutely agree. Um, so that was, I, I guess, uh, I, I think, I don't think I directly answered your question. So then the, the other piece is what do, um, what do customers use customer feedback for? How do like, they get feedback and then what do they do? And so um, here's what, here are the types of things that we see. So, well, first of all, I'll start with what people used to do. Um, okay, that's perfect. <laughs> what people used to do is they used to measure satisfaction. Right. Uh, it's a how satisfied, and this went through a few incarnations, um, but largely it's all the same thing. It's uh, oh, first. Is like that Jeremy? Is that versions of like I remember buying a car or something like that? Anytime they would, the salesperson would have feedback afterwards, and it would say like, "Oh, give me a ten, otherwise I'm fired." Basically, mm-hmm. they would always say yep. anything less than a ten means I was horrible, and I'd be like, "I don't know. My personal scale runs typically from two to eight. You can't get any higher than that." Uh, but they were basically always, I've seen that on the phones in person, the, the immediate customer feedback where they're basically saying, give me a perfect score. And I always felt that was kind of a vanity metric. So they could in their commercials or something say that, you know, we have perfect scores is, are they actually intending on using that internally? Yes. Uh, many companies do. Uh, and the key thing here is about me- that. This is about measurement and they break it down to the department and to the, even to the agent or the salesperson. Uh, and, and measurement's not a bad thing. I'm, uh, I'm definitely not against measurement. Uh, my point of view is that it's necessary, um, but not sufficient. So if you think about it, getting it, first of all, in this their case, it's gamed. The reason it's gamed is oftentimes uh, companies tie compensation right, to their right. scores, um, or they just don't want to be on the list of low-performing you know, salespeople, agents, et cetera, departments. Yeah. Um, but... My issue with it, why it's necessary but not sufficient, is that it's uh, it, my uh, my analogy is that let's say you're trying to lose weight. It's like stepping on a scale. You can see what you weigh, but it's really difficult when you step on a scale to know what you should do. You just know that maybe you weigh a little bit more than you want. Right. And the thing is that most people and most of their jobs want to do whatever their role is at a company. They want to do their job better but they need the information to make a decision that impacts their role that they can control. And just measuring about how much you weigh isn't really that helpful for that. You're basically like, okay, well, I wish I weighed a little bit less. Um, but when you conversely, uh, if you change, you know, like to continue the analogy to something like my fitness pal or a, a recipe book of healthy, healthy cooking, those are things that you can control day to day. Um, those are tools to help you control things day to day so that when you go to step on the scale, when you go to measure, things look better. So the people did, uh, people that run parts of businesses day to day need information to make better decisions today. They don't need you to need know a smart that scale kind of, you need a smart scale. That's going to tell you like, Hey, we just checked out your steps per day and your diet and you need to eat more vegetables, less ice cream and do some <laughs> walking there, buddy. There you go. Um, instead of just getting away. But eggnog is starting to come out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, we, we know it's the holidays, but stay away from the eggnog. Uh. Yeah, exactly. Um, I know it looks good. Hands off, hands off. Um, <laughs> no, but so, if, so our, our approach to customer feedback is to, 
it's not that you can't measure. You should know where you stand. And if satisfaction is declining, you should know that. But more importantly is if somebody controls user experience, they need to know what people think about specific parts of the user experience. Um, And and this is sort of the the piece that Pulse Insights fills. Uh, In the old world, you can go out and go to a focus group and spend, you know, 50 grand and talk to 12 respondents. Right. Uh, right yeah. 12 unemployed people that wanted to get paid to be in a focus group will tell you how to run your business. Yeah. I mean, focus groups, I mean, again, it's not, there's no bad tool. They're good for what they're good for, but um, it's 12 respondents and the good part is you get to go in depth, but the bad part is you have 12 respondents and you don't right. really have a cross section of what people think about something very specific. Um, and what, what we do, our approach is that you need a channel to be able to ask people and get lots of feedback you know, thousands of responses about what people think, what they need, what they're missing, how they'd use this. Is this more valuable? And if you have that, uh, then customers can be far more customer-centric. And if customers are far more customer-centric, they're going to win in the marketplace. Mm. We, we make that direct linkage between if you can ask the kind of questions you can ask in the way that we ask them, you can win in the marketplace. So what kind of, you said like if people only have a handful of customers, they don't need... Um, necessarily a tool to get feedback because it's such small volumes anyway they can get that pretty easily um, and then if they have a larger number of customers that's when you kind of need some sort of system in place to collect this stuff what what percentage of customers would you say people would want some sort of direct feedback from in order to mm-hmm. make useful decisions i mean if you have a hundred customers do you need to know the thoughts of 50 of those or 25 or, or what, what's a good percentage regardless of how many customers you have. I see. Yeah. So um, uh, that's more of an art than a science, I believe. So especially if you're dealing with a hundred, so you might be able to say, and like somebody that is really familiar with their business might be able to know that certain clients are similar to other clients. And if you, if you ask them, then they could effectively represent a small group of clients. And then, so in one case, you might only need a small number of, you know, a small sample, if you will. And you can have a pretty good sense that you're getting a, a, the beliefs of a cross section of the business. So it's kind of, you need a percentage of client types. You gotta, you gotta silo them up a little bit into specific types of client. And that's where the art comes in. And if you have no idea, then you should probably, you know, sample more so that you have a better sense of what people think overall. The other thing with with our, um, our approach is that, so um, in the old days of surveying, the way it worked is that you would basically invite um, you know, a decent number of people, but because it's not a very attractive proposition, uh, you would basically get a really tiny percentage of people that would be willing to take a survey. And, and kind then of a because, selecting crowd too, right? Yes. Yeah. My, my fear uh, and belief is that it's not the representative um, portion that are willing to take that. But then it's sort of a double, double whammy because you get a few people that are willing to take something. You're like, okay, we got a sucker. Let's ask them a ton of questions. Right. And so then you basically get, offer these really long surveys um, to these few non-representative folks and then, in theory, make decisions or, or understand how you're doing, measuring how you're doing based on that data. And so we didn't like that approach. So our approach is sort of the exact opposite. Turn that on its head um, and then basically ask a different question, which is, let's just say we asked one or two questions, but those questions weren't static, like, would you recommend us to a friend? but rather they were actionable and, and asked in such a way that people wanted to answer and without interrupting them, without interrupting what they came to do uh, in an email or a website or an app. Now um, this sounds, Jeremy, this sounds dangerously like 
um, it's going to take somebody that knows what they're doing to run these conversations. I feel like most kind of customer feedback things are run by a call center somewhere who doesn't even know what the company does that they're doing the survey for. Um, it, it seems like you need somebody who, who actually knows kind of uh, where to go and what they're talking about for this. Yeah. You know, uh, our uh, uh, yes and no. Uh, we uh, like to put the power of the tool in hands of different teams that only know presumably you know, like mostly know about their team or what their the things they control. Uh, so for example, a team that runs UX would probably ask UX related questions. A right. team that runs product would probably ask product related questions. Uh, and so every team obviously will have the expertise of their team. So the, the ingredient that's necessary is not so much expertise or, you know, beyond what they, their job, but curiosity teams that are curious, get a ton of value. Uh, because they want to know what the customers think. Basically, the questions are being created by the people with the expertise, and then it's being handed off. The, that system of questions is being handed off uh, then to people to go out and collect the information. Yeah, well, well in, in our case, uh, companies, uh, people that have questions can go into our system and say, I want to ask this question when somebody logs on and visits this page and looks at this part of the page. I want to ask this question. Okay, and uh, business users can do that. So uh, our company provides software. We're not necessarily involved to uh, um, configure and ask the questions. We right. provide the okay. tools so that companies, curious companies, can understand what's in their customers' heads. Right, right. So they'd have an account basically and be able to give access to different departments to just go in and say, at this point, ask this question of people, something like that. Yep, exactly. Okay, I think I'm getting ahead of things here a little bit and just kind of getting yeah. into your product specifically. But uh, yeah, yeah. so we were kind of going, I think we've covered um, how people used to run things. And then we've gotten partway into here how your, um, how your system works and how you guys run things now. You were talking about the creation of the questions. Um, sorry, I just kind of want to reboot back to where we were here. Yeah, sure. Track. Yeah, so I guess the part that I hadn't answered is that um, the types of things companies are asking are around user experience. Could you find this? Was this easy? Was this mm. what was expected? Um, right. Did you notice this? So uh, kind of user experience type things. Sometimes it's around marketing. So which of these things is most important to you? Is this thing right. valuable? Did you understand this benefit? You know, um, so conversion rate optimization. Is anything preventing you from purchasing today? What types of things, you know, are you considering? How early, where in the stage, where in the process are you? Um, some more marketing type questions, conversion rate optimization questions. Sometimes it's more business decisions like, hey, we're considering building this thing. Is it valuable to you? Let's get a lot of data from users and find out that people would value this thing before we actually spend months and months and months and maybe millions of dollars building something. Right. Um, so you're saying there's like, there's feedback in here, but you can also it sounds like it kind of crosses over what you can do. You have customer feedback, um, but then you have kind of marketing research type questions and then market research, market research questions as well. So it's, it's about yeah. what was your experience like? And then it's about what would, you know, what would you like to see? And, um, and then, oh, I'm missing one of the three there, I guess. <laughs> yeah. the, market, the marketing part, I guess, did you understand this? Did you understand that type of thing? Yep. Okay, so, so yeah, kind of blend it all together into one series of information collection machine, I guess. 
yeah, from our perspective, it's just understanding whatever, whatever you need to ask of your users uh, on a variety of topics. The topic is, you know, agnostic to uh, the, the thing that we're passionate about is incorporating what customers think into business decisions that you make every single day, regardless of function. You know, this is so helpful and so interesting. Thank you for sharing a little bit about it. We're going to take a really quick break. And then I want to ask you about specific questions and, and how this information should be being used uh, as us as marketers. So um, we'll get back to that in a minute. Our episode today is brought to you by Engageo. If you're thinking about ABM and not sure how to start or which plays to run, Engageo just came out with a new playbook for marketers, featuring 16 plays that have been tested in the field to get results. Check them out at Engageo.com orchestration. All right, this is Sky Cassidy, Alicia Garvalia. We're back from break and with a uh, Jeremy Beeger of uh Pulse Insights. Did I get your name right there, Jeremy? I always mess that one up. Yep, you got it. All right. Okay, so before the break, we um, I, I had wanted to ask you about uh, specific questions. You, you, you at one point said, if you're asking questions that people want to answer, so how do you ask questions or how do you define a question that people want to answer instead of these long questions that maybe people don't? Yeah. Okay. So um, when people ask questions, one of the things that we measure as a, as a metric of relevance is response rate. How many times do you ask the question and how many times do people respond? Okay. And one of the fascinating things is that we sometimes ask on the exact same pages, i.e. of the exact same audience, in the exact same display, you know, it looks the same, in the same format. Mm-hmm. We'll ask uh, a handful of questions, and the response rates of these questions would vary from a minuscule two or three percent, which, by the way, is still like six times the industry average, to like fifty percent. Wow! So huge uh, variations in response rate. And what's the one so thing that changed? Jeremy, you're like A B C D testing. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Specific questions. Yeah. Nice. And so, and so imagine like, so 50% is an outlier. So is 2%, but let's just say three to 15% is a typical range in this scenario. Okay. And I think this actually, that was about the range in this case. So think about that. That's five times 500% difference. And the one thing that changed was the question that the company wanted to ask. Mm. Right. In some are cases, these variations people, of the same question or are these just uh, completely different questions? Completely different questions. Some of them are theoretical and might only have a couple of responses. Some of them might require the user to type something in, which has a higher um, sort of friction load. And mm-hmm. But the point is, is that what you're asking has a huge impact because people want to share certain things and don't want to share other things. Or maybe in some cases, it's not what you're asking, but the way you ask it. I, does it feel yeah. easy? Does it feel like you're going to do something with this information? Is it going to be, is it going to be some type of payoff? You know, are you going to make a different decision? Am I going to get some benefit maybe eventually out of it? Um, right. Or some things people are passionate about, some things people are not. Um, but it's just nice to see that, you know, 500% difference. Uh, and some of that is in, in, in our control, meaning like the way you ask a question can make a huge impact. Some of it is just the underlying topic might be interesting or less interesting. 
So have you found some tips that are, you know, just kind of general across the board, like uh, like you just said, for instance, if you have to type in a response, um, so it's an open-ended question, that you find that you get less feedback or, you know, things like that? Yeah, sure. So um, we have found uh, that simpler, you know, like um, informal language that doesn't sound like market research, uh, but mm. rather you know, needs to obviously fit within the voice of the company. But simple language, uh, asking a specific question, uh, and if it can be boiled down to a small number of options, like a yes, no, or A, B, or C, that helps. Um, yeah, so th- those are some of the things that we've we've learned. And yes, we have seen that if you are asking the user to type something in, uh, that understandably comes with a lower response rate. But it also gives you some nuance and contrast. So there's, a, you know, there's pros and cons. I just had a thought and I haven't screened it internally yet. So hopefully it's not, <laughs> <laughs> it's not terrible. But do you ever put questions out just to test the response rate where maybe you set something up on the site that's, that's terrible and you know it and, uh, and then you ask a question about it just to get like a baseline of the visitors of that particular company's site where you say, okay, we, we're going to do something to really compel people to answer, answer the question. That's the pop up and see where it's at. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's what kind of questions. I or just have that. something on the site that doesn't work right or doesn't show up and then say, you know, the video doesn't load and you're asking, you know, how did you see the video or how was your experience or do you, do you set a baseline or is kind of all the questions combined the baseline? Yeah. I, I, we typically look at all the questions combined. Um, it's not actually a bad idea to have some type of like, you know, theoretical maximum, would you like a hundred bucks? Yes, no. Right. <laughs> um, that kind of gives you uh, the the, uh, the upper limit of what you might expect, and then you're kind of operating at a percentage of that upper limit. Uh, so it's not a bad idea. But the way we typically look at that is run sort of natural experiments. So companies are interested in certain things; they have certain questions, and we'll look at those things and look at the variation and try and tease out what are the drivers of the variation. Okay, and then every. Everything you guys do for, for customer feedback for this stuff is uh, in a website. Is that right? Your tool is specifically website-based and the questions come up inside there? Uh, you certainly do come up in websites, but we also work within mobile app, native apps, and also email uh, and okay. also yeah, other channels. Okay. So you do um, – is there like phone uh, uh, phone customer feedback setups uh, do you, across all – I guess can you kind of tell go over the different – mediums of customer feedback? Because I felt like we've been talking specifically about websites and I kind of want to wrap my head a little better around it. Yeah. So um, uh, web, app, and email are the, the trifecta that we work mostly with. Uh, however, um, we have APIs. And so if there are other uh, use cases, for example, embedded Internet of Things type devices, that could work. Phone could work. Anything that, that um, could use APIs to ask a question and record responses could also be used. Okay. And then in the websites, it's, uh, I'm getting the impression that these are just individual questions that'll pop up here and there. Is, is that how that works on a site? They'll just yeah. be in an area and a little window will pop up asking them a question. Yeah. So, um, the way, uh, first of all, to talk about the way the world used to be is something would pop up on a website and say, excuse me, would you mind giving us some feedback later at the end of your visit? Right. Um, and you effectively have interrupted the user and asked them to do something later out of context. Or yeah, that's sort of people always say no unless they have really low self-esteem. Well, that's exactly that's. What does the self-esteem have to do with 
<laughs> I've only ever said yes when I was feeling really down on those. <laughs> you get that on the phone all the time. You're talking to customer service. You're like, I didn't want to be here anyway. And now you're going to ask me if I'll take a 10 minute survey afterwards. Yeah, right. No, no I don't funny. want to do that. Um, right. And so, yeah, our approach is to rather than say, would you do this thing later and have it be a 30 question thing? Uh, instead, and this is something our technology, you know, we have this belief that you should be respecting, you're asking something of your users. So you should be respectful of their time. Uh, respectful, everybody's busy. You're busy. They're busy. Everybody's feeling overwhelmed with what they have to do. The last thing they want to do is go out of their way to take a 10, 20, or 30 question survey. However, they do inherently, our belief is people do want to share their opinions. You just have to be respectful of their time. And so how do you be respectful of their time? And so that's how we built our product to, the technology piece of our product is to be able to dynamically insert one question that looks like it came from the client uh, and just ask it of the user in a natural way uh, in their experience. So it doesn't take them out of their flow. It doesn't ask them to go somewhere else or do something later. Uh, they can ignore it if they want, but because people want to share, they don't. Uh, and they answer whatever question is on the business's mind. And so, yes, uh, what you're envisioning in your head, is, this sounds more or less right. We change the page uh, dynamically and insert one question that, you know, one simple or sometimes two simple questions. Right. So I guess that's where I was going. I know it sounded like I was just completely confused, but I was kind of leading into something with it, which was, um, the way you guys do it in websites. I really am intelligent. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not just completely confused. I was going somewhere. I wanted to clarify that first. Um, is there some sort of threshold or what is the threshold of, how many questions you can ask somebody because you know, I've seen even on our own website, we're fighting with a live chat function at the moment because it keeps popping up and, oh, uh, it's and it's trip. annoying for us. <laughs> it must be annoying for our clients as well. Um, it seems like if there are any listeners out there who have an awesome live chat, please let me know which one it is. Yeah, we're sorry too about if there's any <laughs> <laughs> visitors out there. We're sorry about ours. Uh, oh, um, so it seems like there's a kind of this annoyance level that you've, you've got to stay below. Like you're saying, you don't want to ask them to answer 20 questions now, but you also don't want to ask them to answer 20 questions throughout their visit on the website. So how many is too many? Yeah. What's too many and how do you, how do you kind of control that? Yeah, sure. So this is, this like many things is an art, but our general approach is that you don't want to ask more than one question uh, per visit. Uh, and you don't even necessarily want to ask one question each visit. Um, right. And if you have traffic levels, you know, like, Again, we work with a lot of large clients that have lots and lots of traffic. And so you can get plenty of data uh, asking only one or two questions at a time of a user and then letting them rest and then maybe a few visits later asking another question. Nice. Oh, another question that shows I haven't used your tool before, but that's fine because this, <laughs> yeah. this I use it all the time. This is for the listeners. Um, I'm, sure, I'm sure they're thinking this. Um, so you put out a question, somebody answers the question, and then they ask a question because you're saying – the question's coming up as if it's somebody, you know, they think the, the website itself is asking them this or somebody on the website, almost like a live chat. If they start trying to chat, is does that, can they be pushed into a live chat? Like if they answer the question, yeah, this works fine to me, by the way, blah, 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 you know, they, they ask a question themselves. Does that then push to a live person? Does it push into their live chat? Is there, is there a functionality for that? Yeah. So, okay. So uh, I guess there's two parts to this. The first is that we try to make it pretty clear that the user is giving feedback uh, on right. something that they're answering a particular question. Like, could you find what you're looking for in the search mm -hmm. or in the navigation? Um, or did, which benefit is most compelling to you? 
Uh, and then they're thanked, they answer it and the follow-up would be why or something like that. And then they're thanked right. for their feedback. However, right. you do have a capability. So uh, another sort of core tenet of what we believe is that it would be a lost opportunity to collect feedback, but not also guide the user to the right place. For example, let's say they couldn't find something in the navigation uh, and then they tell you what they're looking for. Don't just say thanks for your feedback. That was right. a missed opportunity. You could guide the user to the right place. And so we do yeah, have functionality to guide the user based on what they tell us. Uh, so it's like a Band-Aid. Yes, it's a Band-Aid. It's a, it, in other words, in the long term, the team should take that feedback and address it. But in the short term, let's use what we just learned from the user and help them. Right. Right. So if they said the buy now button isn't working, can I get somebody on the phone? Like uh, you want to be able to take yes. advantage of that situation right. still. Right. Uh, yes. We have a lot of clients that will push people to live chat um, or point them to the right page. For example, could you find this? No. All right. Let us try one more time. Here, here are some resources for you. Um, and so that's quite common. Interesting. I almost, um, when, when Sky was first talking about it, I almost had like a, a visceral reaction. I thought she was going to hit saying. me from across. The, I could see it on her face. <laughs> I, was like, no. I was like, I'm saying something wrong um, here. Because it sounded like a terrible idea that when you're giving feedback that then suddenly now they're trying to sell to you. But it makes perfect sense because A, it, hypothetically, if they're on that website and already answering a feedback question, they, they want something. Right. And so you're by just – and hopefully they are just giving them – what they want, then it doesn't feel like you've been kind of like baited and switched. And part of what they want might be an right. answer to a question. Oh yeah, right, I couldn't find right. this. Where can I find that? Right. Or how do I buy this by the way? Or... Right. Well, I mean like if it, if the feedback is instead, how do I unsubscribe? And they're like, oh, well, are you sure you want to unsubscribe? And we'll give you 50% off or whatever. That would feel very like the opposite. That would Right. It's the opposite of our live this chat where it's sense. popping up saying, hey, you want to talk? It's actually you saying... <laughs> answer our question it, right. it almost seems like more people might feed into chatting from that than from a live chat window that just pops up and says hey you want it because that's sales right. that's like, saying i'm here yeah. i'm not here for feedback i'm here to sell you everybody knows the live chat's there to sell them something right. um, whereas the feedback it seems like an easier transition almost into live chatting with the salesperson yeah sure so i have a question for you um you know what what kind of difference? You go and you collect all this information, and I have so many questions about how to collect the information and about you know how do you quantify it, especially when it's qualitative data instead of quantitative data, and um, you know and like and then but then where do we go with it? And what kind of difference does it make? I'm sorry, I just threw like eight thousand questions at you. <laughs> Hang on, what kind of difference does customer feedback yeah. make if marketing uses it correctly? Basically, why should marketing yeah. look at customer feedback? That, right. That's a setup. Yeah, sure. I mean, God, there's there's nothing more important than using customer. I mean, this is our core to our beliefs. There's nothing more important than using customer feedback well. Uh, but our belief is that collecting the feedback, and this is sort of our issue with uh, when we first started talking about this idea of you're just measuring. Customer feedback tells you whether your satisfaction is, is growing or falling. Like that, you don't do anything with that. That's just like yeah. – uh, um, but when you start to ask more specific questions about user experience and what should we build next and how valuable is this, you could easily get from this feedback to making a decision today uh, right. that will make a difference tomorrow when you actually go to measure satisfaction. So, and, and there are some awesome examples of people using like uh, how how simple pieces of feedback learned in days drastically alters companies. 
Um, in one case, a company changed how they were organized because they had a belief that was maybe originally based on data or some data point years and years ago. Um, but then you know, effectively the, the situation was if a lead comes in, where does it get routed to product A or product B? And there was a mm-hmm. few questions and based on how those questions were answered, it went to completely different product lines and, and business units. Uh, we uncovered some data that completely changed that. And in the process of doing that, got people to the quote, right, you know, the actual right place and both helped the company be more profitable and help the customer get the thing they needed, the right thing for them. Um, and completely changed the organization of how, you know, like literally the company reorged based on uh, some yeah. insight that we uncovered. So in that sense, it kind of helps with the two different situations where, oh, things have changed in the business. So we're out of business versus things have changed in the business and we've changed with them. Right. Right. Yes, exactly. Um, and there's all kinds of things like that. Like sometimes it's, it's um, investing millions of dollars in a technology capability that um, previously would be informed by opinion. So I mean, this happens across businesses, even customer-centric businesses. There's so much where opinions inform decisions. Like, I think this would be cool. Let's invest in it. And, you know, large companies would spend millions of dollars and, you know, like kind of like shake up business units to, to support this project based on a person or people's opinions. Right. Um, then you find out, oh, that guy didn't know what he's talking about. Right. right. So, you, so you're saying with the customer feedback, it's, I think this is cool. And so do our customers. Look, here's the... Here's, here's the, the information to inform. Yeah, here's the data. Fact, I can think of a, co- a company that's recently done that three times. I won't name names, but there's a company that I know of that it recently. Um, name names. Name no. names. <laughs> no. Um, that recently they went through product development three times with three different uh, like heads of product development. I don't know what their title was, and um, each time they came up with the same product and it nobody's buying it. And so successively three heads of product development were fired for producing the same product right. that no one bought. Yeah. And so <laughs> imagine if you, imagine if you had you know, a, a reasonable percentage of your users actually telling you right. uh, answers to specific questions that you need to build the right product. You know what? After we're done here, I'm going to give you the name of this company so you can target them because it sounds like they need you. <laughs> Off the air. Off the air. We'll give you the company name. All right. Sounds good. Sorry, um, listeners. <laughs> um, I'll give you a third uh, important example. And this one is a little bit less, you know, it's not reorganizing business units or, or changing millions of dollars of investment, you know, changing where how millions of dollars are routed in terms of how companies invest. But it's uh, in some ways even more. Uh, it's um, you can imagine it happening across all kinds of businesses. So you take a marketing team that's responsible for conversion rate. A certain number of traffic comes to the site. And if you can get, you know, a lot of times that traffic is paid. And if you can make that traffic work twice as hard or, you know, mm-hmm. um, then that's effectively no cost, but you have double the results from the same level of traffic. And so that's so appealing. And so what companies do uh, previously, you know, t- until, until now, is they'll run A-B tests. They'll say, okay, well, let's try a red button right. or a blue button. Um, and then they get these things like 5% lift or something. And you know, sometimes that's not even significant. Right. Um, and the reason why that happened, the, the thinking is sound. Uh, the idea is like, let's get more out of our existing traffic levels. But the execution is poor in the sense that it's not really driven based on any insight. It's like somebody throwing spit against the wall, like, oh, maybe red was better. Which um, spit do they like better? Yeah. <laughs> um and then even if something wins, you can't really extract, like, even if there's a, let's just say that there was a, a 30% difference, which is rare. Um, 
But let's just say there was, it's really tough to extrapolate why. Because you know, you know right. what happened, but you don't know if the driver behind that differences. Um, and so uh, a lot of companies are using Pulse Insights to really get inside people's heads about why certain things matter. Why are they not converting on mobile? Is it because they're not ready or there's friction? Mm. Why are they picking this product over that? Is it because we explain the benefits better? Or, right. you know, um, and so when you understand the why, then you can design tests that are um, actually will move the needle. And so it's almost like the peanut butter and jelly of conversion rate optimization is one measures the result and allows you to actually execute the test. But in order to actually have something of value, you need the insight to actually create a test that is likely to move the needle, not just do something stupid like a red or a green button. I've been hearing that question or that that word a lot lately, Jeremy, and it seems like it might be one of the most important words in the English language, the why question. I think just our constantly last coming up. said, um, oh, was our last guest? A couple guests ago. Charles Rogel? Who was it? Nope, nope, nope. Jamie Crosby, I think, said the – if you know the bigger than why, the bigger the try. And then I think multiple of our guests yeah. have been talking about the why. And if you can understand, I think another one of our guests was talking about um, employees. If you can know their why, then um, you can motivate them to actually be more productive for it, you. It might be the most important. I remember going back to like high school biology class or something and they give you these these questions you have to work out these equations and then taking forever on them <laughs> trying to understand the why of it not just memorizing the equation but the if you understand yeah if you understand why each thing's in there everything works out so funny. much better <laughs> it went over my head i just got it i just got it not bad i guess <laughs> but Sorry. i Staying off topic a little bit here for a second, I, I was reading these articles over uh, the weekend, I don't know, just recently about a self-driving shuttle in Las Vegas that they were testing out. And I, I read one article and it said, oh, this shuttle, um, you know, it, it started up and people got on it. And within the first hour, it had got into an accident. I, I saw that article. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember reading the article and being like, okay, why? why? It it, I was like, this is journalism. I, I took a journalism class in college. I remember like there's five questions you're supposed to <laughs> answer. True, and you've true. answered like one of them, maybe. This what? doesn't – your article's over. You're done writing. And then I saw another article from a different publication uh, within a couple hours popped up on my phone. I was like, okay, let me – I'm dying to know. I'm not going to spend the time going researching. But what happened? The what also. They're like, okay, I know it, it got in an accident, but – how like there's all these five questions that weren't answered here why did this happen um and that one finally said you know how and why the accident happened and the ultimate thing everybody wants to know is was the shuttle at fault fault? yeah yeah. and it's like how can you write this article and not say that like you have to know why things and i guess that's not even i don't know (laughs) just wasn't answered in there the the, the why seems so important and everything like you you can't get up and explain something to somebody or, uh, or teach something without, without teaching the why. Um, well, if, if you think about it, uh, companies in the last five to 10 years have, have gotten so much data that they previously didn't have access to. Uh, and the thing is that it sometimes lacks context. Mm. You have all this data, like for example, 5% of people that land on this page wind up converting, but you don't know why. Yeah, and so you're uh, in some ways the the access to data created this lack of context of well I, I see the data I see what's happening, but what am I supposed to do about it? 
Right. You have to have somebody who understands the business and the data enough to put them together and right. make some useful conclusions, I guess. Right. Or has the ability to ask questions of your users to ask why. That makes so much that makes so much sense. I love the knowing the why and and uh, you know, and I think that's so key to market research, to marketing research, to all of what we're doing. Uh, and and I I hope that our listeners take that away. I hope that that's one of if even if they kind of even if you don't listen to anything about customer feedback, which I hope you do. I hope that understanding the context and the why uh, you can take that and extrapolate on that because I think that's huge. Great. All right, I think we're uh, we're coming to an end here, uh, Jeremy. Thank you for being on the show. Um, we had a great time talking about this about customer feedback. Uh, I think we, you know we'll invite you back on uh, again sometime to dig into even more. We we touched on the basics. I think people understand um, what your company does, where you guys come from when it comes to customer feedback. I'd really love to dig in some other time on specifically marketing and customer feedback. I know, mm-hmm. yes, you know, this is a B2B marketing show. Um, we did a lot of setup here, but maybe another time we'll, we'll really dig into some specifics in B2B marketing. Um, I think, uh, Alicia has a couple things to run over here with you yeah. and your company. So guys, Pulse Insights is a fantastic company and Jeremy has been so fantastic. Uh, if you want to go check them out, they're at pulseinsights.com. Pulse Insights helps companies make better decisions by asking customers what they need and want. So if you feel like that's something your company needs, go check them out. Um, and if you liked our podcast, please subscribe. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at elephanttest at mail.com. So Jeremy, anything else you want to throw in here uh, at the end for us? No, thank you for having me. Thank you so much. And we'll have the show notes um, on the site on this. And uh, then what we threw your site out there, right? What about uh, Twitter? Um, Yeah, you can find uh, Pulse Insights on Twitter at Pulse Insights or Pulse underscore Insights. Um, And you can email Jeremy if you have questions for him at jbeaker at pulseinsights.com. Excellent. Thanks for coming on, Jeremy. Thank you. A quick word from our sponsor. Effective marketing starts with good data. At Mountaintop Data, we are experts at developing and maintaining high-quality marketing lists. With tens of millions of highly accurate records and more data being added daily, we're sure to have the contacts you need. Learn more at mountaintopdata.com. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Elephant Test. Check out the show notes at elephanttest.com. Thank you so much for listening from all of us here at The Elephant Test. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.